Well, tonight we're going to begin a, a study over the next few weeks on the topic of the church. And as we come to chapter 26 in the confession uh, of the church, it's interesting that it's one of the longer chapters of the confession. The Westminster Confession has six chap- uh, paragraphs in uh, chapter, I think there's 25, um, on the church. And in the London Baptist Confession, there are 15. And it's a, an area that, it's not just a contrast between the Westminster and the Second London Baptist, but the Savoy Declaration, other confessions also have a lot of distinction that separates themselves from the Westminster Confession of Faith. And we recognize that we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are Presbyterian. But when it comes to the church and the understanding of what is the church, that's where we begin to see a lot more distinction happen. Uh, I have a document that looks at uh, the Westminster and the Second London Baptist side by side, and you can see the the similarities and differences. And many of the the paragraphs and chapters are taken verbatim or one little word modified here or there. And then you get to the church, and it's like two different directions. And over the next weeks, we will see and come more to an understanding of why those are there, and even laying some of those foundations this evening. I encourage you, uh, Colossians 1 is a, is a wonderful uh, section to memorize in the glory of Christ, but look specifically at verse 18 on the screen with me, and read it with me. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Speaking of Christ, he is the head of the body, the church. We saw this morning the the mention that great fear came upon the church there in Acts chapter 5. This ecclesia, this called out. And as we look at this, let's look at paragraph 1 in the confession the catholic or universal church which with respect to the internal work of the spirit and truth of grace may be called invisible consists of the whole number of the elect that have been are or shall be gathered into one under christ the head thereof and is the spouse the body the fullness of him that fills all in all We see in this paragraph uh, really the definition of what is the church. To maybe abbreviate that a little bit, you could say the whole number of the elect, past, present, future, called out under Christ who is the head. Now these are important distinctions because we see the church not being just beginning in Acts, but from all times past to the present and until the consummation. That we see the beauty of the church coming underneath that. Again, we see Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body, the church, the body made up of many parts. And in that 
I, that uh, overarching umbrella of the church, there is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. There is neither uh, uh, Jew or Greek. We are all one under Christ. Does that mean that we're not distinct? Is there no male and female relationships? No, we're not speaking that. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about spiritually under Christ, we are all part of the body. That there is not one section that is and isn't. And so we see some of those terms there in that first paragraph. We see the word Catholic. Now understand in that, the letter C in Catholic is lowercase. Because the Catholic means universal. When we speak of the Catholic Church, we are actually speaking of the universal church. If you want to be more specific, we need to say Roman Catholic when we think often Catholic. Uh, even in the uh, Apostles' Creed, you have the, confess- the, the creed speaking of the church, the Catholic Church. Not speaking of the Roman Catholic Church, but thinking of the universal church. And I think it's important that we make a distinction between the church as an institution and the church as the people of God. We call ourselves Geneva Lakes Church. Now, are we the only true church? No. We understand that we are one small local assembly that is part of a greater church. As Charles Hodge has said, visible churches are only imperfect and partially, partial manifestations of the visible church. <clears throat> I want to read a, a section, and it's a bit of a, a lengthy uh, session. Uh, I was really blessed by uh, Sam Waldron's comments on this, in this distinction between the church as an institution and the church as a people of God. He says, Such a distinction enables us to do justice to portions of the New Testament which are frequently misinterpreted. There was a very important sense in which the church began as an institution and organism in the complex of events surrounding Christ's first advent. There was, in a sense, excuse me, there was a sense in which historically the church began in the events of Christ's early ministry, death, resurrection, and pouring out of the Spirit. The apostles of Christ are the historical foundation upon which Christ is now building his church, Ephesians 2.20. The future tense in the statement of Christ saying, I will build my church, may therefore be given its natural force. Though Israel was a type of the church, and though the church is the new Israel of God in the fulfillment of prophecy... It is, the tr- it is true that the church as an institution and organism did not exist in the Old Testament. These truths um, contradict the tendency of some of the strains of covenant theology to flatten the difference between the church and Israel in the interest of paedo-baptism. Now again, he's saying we need to make this distinction. There is a uniqueness of what we call the church beginning in the New Testament and on as apart from that which was before. But at the same time, not to keep that distinction, but not to flatten it, to blur it so much. When you blur it so much, that's when we get 
paid infant baptism. We get a lot of the uh, the Presbyterian uh, theology that that doesn't make that distinction as clear that muddies that waters. He continues, he says, but on the other hand, the church is the climactic earthly expression of the people of God. Thus, language is frequently used which equates the church with all those in union with Christ. The church is the body and bride of Christ. Furthermore, the bride of Christ is composed in the last day of the saved from every age. Thus, the church will one day be composed of all the redeemed, all the people of God. The church does not consist Excuse me, the church does consist of the whole number of the elect. These considerations refute dispensationalism with its church in Israel distinction and its denial that the Old Testament saints are a part of the church. So again, this is a, a, a rabbit trail we could go a long ways down on, and we kind of laid some foundations a few weeks back. But again, Israel and the church, there's a distinction, but not this clean-cut line. And at the same time, while there is a distinction, there is a similarity. That the church is all those, past, present, and future, called out under Christ who is the head. There is neither slave nor free. Again, we see the beauty in that universal or Catholic church. But one of the aspects of that is that the church has two um, manifestations And that's even a contradiction. Visible and invisible. Invisible doesn't have a manifestation, but I think you understand my terminology there. That there's a sense in which the church is invisible and the way it is visible. It's visible in the sense that here we are tonight, we are gathered. There's a physical manifestation of the gathered assemblies. But it is also invisible because we cannot see the true nature of, of man's union with Christ. There are some here tonight who claim the name of Christ who are not of Christ. And time shows that, that we see the the falling away, that those who are of us have gone away because they were why? Never of us, as 1 John says. So we see that there is a visible expression but not all who are visibly expressed as the body of Christ are really of Christ. So there's a, a visible and an invisible aspect that are taking place at the same time. Notice, look at the, the idea of its members in paragraph 2. All persons throughout the world professing the faith of the gospel and obedience unto God by Christ according unto it, not destroying their own profession by any errors, averting the foundation or unholiness of conversation, are and may be called visible saints, and as such ought all particular congregations to be constituted." A fairly wordy paragraph, but the point of it is that those who profess the truth of the gospel, who obey Christ and continue in that faith, are the members of that church, of that universal church in those who are of the elect. Really, these are some of the tests that we see in 1 John. Do we confess Christ? Do we obey him? And do we continue in the faith? These are not ways we attain our salvation. 
but they are ways that we see the fruit of our salvation. The members are visible in that one cannot be an invisible member of the church and not love Christ's body. We see this big issue today. Well, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. Do we hear the contradiction? Christ is the head. The church is his body. And yet we say we love Christ, but we, love, we hate his body itself. It, it, we'll, we'll see this even more in, in coming weeks. But we must challenge ourselves that if we don't love God's local assembly, where is our heart truly for Christ? Does it mean that local assemblies are perfect? No. The whole book of the Bible was written to a church that had problems, 1 Corinthians. A church that there was sin and there was fighting, there was issues going on, there was misunderstandings of roles and what is marriage and talk about all in one church. Makes every other church kind of feel good and maybe easily lends ourselves to pride, but our heart is all that same. But the nature of the church, and that kind of leads into my third point, is that local assemblies can apostatize, meaning they can be faithful and then depart from that. We see that in Revelation 2.5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place Unless you repent. God is warning them. Again, we're speaking a little bit more of the institution. There have been churches who we look at and we say, that was a faithful church. And then they went. Does that mean every single member of that church apostatized? No. There are churches that people were hearing the faithful were taught. They were applying it. And then through sin entering it and fleshing itself out in different ways, the church apostatized. And they may still be existing as an entity of a church, but they are not a faithful church. The confession states it this way in paragraph 3. The purest churches under heaven are subject to mixture and error. Do you believe that? Do you believe that our church is not free of error? Do you believe that we can fall into this same issue, not fall, but choose to go into this? I mean, we need to have that mindset at all times. That it's not like, oh, that's out there. That's those churches. But to personalize this and say, far be it from the grace of God, we can choose to disobey. The purest churches under heaven are subject to mixture and error, and some have so degenerated as to become no churches of Christ, but synagogues of Satan. The confession doesn't mince words, does it? Nevertheless, and here is what we always must remember, Christ always had and ever shall have a kingdom in this world to the end thereof. Of such as believe in him and make profession of his name. We have this warning that some will apostatize. Paul writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1.11. 
He says, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Later in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1, he says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of the kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. This is the church that Paul opens up in 1 Corinthians 1. Let me just note, he says, To the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you the grace of God. Notice, he's not saying that these are unbelievers, that these are believers who are struggling and that there's sin. But... In the end, a church will not stay in apostasy. For the church of Christ is assured, just like Christ said in Matthew 16, 18, And I tell you, Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the church itself is the elect of God, all past, present, and future. And in that, as God is working... There will be some in the local assembly, the the gathering, who are of Christ and who are not. There are some that, as Jesus says at the end of Matthew, uh, he says, let the weeds and the tear, the wheat and the tear grow together. He will be the one who judges. Sometimes we don't always see that. For God knows and tests the hearts and minds of people. Does that mean we don't do church discipline? No, we see Matthew 18. It's important. But to walk and to say, Lord, at the end of the day, we don't know. But the Lord knows our hearts. He knows who are his. And as maybe just to consider these truths, uh, 2 Corinthians 13. Paul writes in verse 5, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I think it's just a good reminder that we must remind ourselves that just because we come into this assembly, just because we go to another church, doesn't make us part of the true church of God. As one pastor said, just like, Walking into my garage doesn't make me a car. Walking into this church doesn't make us a Christian. And it can be hard. It can be hard because it's like, wait, I'm jumping through all the hoops. I'm singing all the songs. I'm praying all the prayers. I know all the answers. But who are those who are truly saved? They are the elect. And how do we show it? By profession of the gospel obedience, and a continuing in the faith. And it's a good reminder. My life, I grew up in a church my entire life. I jokingly say I was going before I was born in my mother's womb. And I I grew up in that same church until I went away to college. And it was easy to just take it in and just assume that I was a Christian because I did it. I 
I did Awana, I did Sunday school classes, I memorized the verses, and I did all the things I was supposed to, and I wasn't that bad of a kid. But how easily it is for us to assume and not to hear Paul's words there in 2 Corinthians to test ourselves as we consider what is a true member of the church. And to not think that just because our name is on maybe some list over here that it means I'm of the true faith. For we all know those examples of those who have shown themselves not to be true. So I think it's time that we just we test ourselves and to ask the Lord to work in us and to show has he begun that good work in us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this evening, for this reminder. And Lord, as we begin to look at the idea of your church, Lord, we confess that it was a beautiful plan that you would redeem a people, Lord, by sending Christ to be the one to pay for sin. Lord, I pray tonight that each one of us here, Lord, that you would open our eyes, that you would call us, that you would show that we are part of your universal church. Lord, protect us from self-deceit, but may our hope be in that Christ is our head, that Christ is our hope. It's in his name we pray. Amen.